Let's look at Jonah chapter 4. As you remember, Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left, and also much cattle? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we desire to hear from you this morning. Help us to be undistracted. Help us to see our sin and our need for Jesus. By the power of your word and spirit, change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Jonah is strange and challenging, and it doesn't have a happy ending. In fact, it ends with a question mark. And the last word of this book is cattle. And yet as we study this passage this morning, we will come to realize that we really need to hear this word. We need this strange yet realistic chapter because we, like Jonah, need a lesson on God's mercy and grace. And my main point this morning, what I hope you see in the text is this, is that God's gracious character should lead his people to imitate him. God's gracious character should lead his people to imitate him. And so as we made our way through the book of Jonah, we have found the prophet in many different situations. In chapter one, we find Jonah running from God going the complete opposite direction that God told him to go. And then we find him sleeping 
sleeping inside a ship in the midst of a storm. In chapter 2, we find him drowning at the bottom of the sea with seaweed wrapped around his face. And then we find him praying as he's inside the belly of the great fish that the Lord sends to save his life. And then in chapter 3, we find Jonah going to Nineveh as the Lord gives Jonah a second chance. And then we find Jonah preaching as he enters the city of Nineveh. And we would expect to find him rejoicing and praising God for the great privilege of being the one who preached a message that resulted in one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world. But instead, we find God's prophet pouting. You would think that after seeing such a work of God in the lives of the Ninevites, that Jonah would be praising the Lord for his grace. I mean, this is a preacher's dream to be used by God in a way in which many people come to repentance and faith. But instead, Jonah throws a pity party. Look at verses one and two. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. The Bible has no problem about being transparent about the sin of God's people. Abraham lies. Noah gets drunk. Moses disobeys. Elijah doubts. David commits adultery and murderer, and Peter denies. And here, Jonah's heart is exposed. We see his sin of selfishness and pride. We see his disagreement with God's plan to extend mercy to the lost. You would never expect that a prophet of God would be so angry that his mission was successful. You would never expect that a prophet of God would be angry because God showed his mercy. But this is where we find Jonah. Picture the scene. The people of Nineveh hear the word of God, and God allows them to see that their sin was great. They mourned, and they repented, and for 40 days, they were unsure if God was going to destroy them or not. And as they continued, they continued fasting and praying and turning from their sin, and as Nineveh prays for God's mercy, Jonah prays for God's wrath. Think of the irony here. Pagan people are repentant and broken, but the prophet of God is angry and frustrated with the plan of God. Why is Jonah angry? Look at verse 2. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah is angry because of the sovereignty of God's grace. Look at this beautiful confession made by this prophet. This is who God is. In fact, Jonah is quoting scripture here. These words are very similar to Exodus 34, where God describes himself as being merciful and gracious. And the context of that passage is when the Israelites 
made that golden calf and bowed down and worshiped it. And their sin of idolatry causes God's anger to burn. And yet, what does God do? He forgives them. And in the text in Exodus 32, God, it says that God relented from the disaster that he said that he was going to bring about. The same wording that we see here in chapter 3, verse 10, about the Ninevites. The people of Israel, Jonah's people, benefited from God's mercy and grace. But Jonah had a problem when it benefited others. Jonah is like the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. And do you notice that as Jonah confesses God's grace and mercy, that it comes out more like a complaint than it does a praise for who God is? Jonah tries to justify his sin for not wanting to obey God's word. He says, the reason why I disobeyed your word was because I knew that you were going to do this. I knew you were going to be gracious to these people. Instead of repenting, we find Jonah trying to justify his own sin. He shifted the blame of his sin onto God. What a dangerous place to be in. Have you ever been tempted to justify your sin? God forgives you, puts you back on the right track. Then you go to him in prayer and say, by the way, God, thanks so much for forgiving me. But the real issue was this. Can you deal with that? We are all tempted to justify our own sin. And Jonah's struggle was the sovereign grace of God. Jonah likes the fact that God was merciful and compassionate towards himself. But why should God be compassionate towards the enemy of his people? They don't abide by God's laws. They worship many false gods. Why should God be merciful to them? Whenever we find ourselves thinking along these same lines, we have forgotten how undeserving we are to be recipients of God's grace. The people of Israel did not deserve to be called God's people. It says in Deuteronomy 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Israel didn't deserve to be called God's people, and neither do we. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's all of grace. It's amazing grace. No one deserves the grace and mercy of God. He freely gives it to whomever he chooses. The Bible teaches that salvation is not based on your ethnicity. It's not based on your achievements. It's not based on your qualifications, but it's based on God's sovereign choice. God tells Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy 
I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But God is gracious and merciful. And for those who say that the Old Testament is a book of judgment and wrath, and that the New Testament is a book of grace, it's likely that they've never read much of the Old Testament. God's grace is woven all throughout the scriptures. And we've definitely, as we've gone through the book of Jonah, we have seen God's grace in the book of Jonah. God desires to save the lost. He's merciful and compassionate. He shows great pity towards sinners. He's moved with compassion when people suffer. He's slow to anger. He's patient. Here is Jonah, who is quick to anger, confessing that God is slow to anger, slow to pour out judgment. Maybe we have short fuses, but God does not. He gives sinners time to repent. He's abounding in steadfast love. The scriptures say that God is love. And Jonah makes this confession, but there is no evidence that he's been changed by this beautiful truth. Instead, he's angry because God is acting in a way that Jonah disapproves of. Jonah's confession is a complaint. God, you are gracious and you save sinners, and this makes me angry. And this is why I told you I didn't want to go to Nineveh. In fact, it makes me not want to live. In verse 3, he says, Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Jonah is struggling. Jonah is in a bad spot. He's so angry that he wants to die. Jonah loves the idea of God's grace and mercy as long as it's only extended to the people of Israel. The moment that God's grace is shifted towards Israel's enemies, then God's grace is a problem for Jonah. So let's take a moment to think honestly about ourselves. What group of people do you find it most difficult to tolerate? Maybe people from a certain political party or certain ethnicity Or possibly you were abused, and the thought of grace towards someone who abused you or abusers in general is beyond you. Or maybe it's alcoholics. Maybe people who are pro-choice. Maybe the homosexual transgender agenda stirs up feelings of anger within you. So here's my question. What if next Sunday they were sitting in your seat when you got to church? What happens in your heart? What if our church started to fill up with people like that? Is there room in your concept of grace for them? Are you willing to be the instrument of grace in their lives? Would you talk to them? Would you try to build a relationship? Or is grace just for you and those you approve of? This was Jonah's problem. 
All throughout this book, we see God's mercy over and over again in Jonah's life. Maybe he felt like he deserved it. Maybe he was blind to the grace that God was offering to him. But he would rather die than see Nineveh continue to receive God's grace. So how does God respond to Jonah? God acts in the same way that Jonah has just confessed him to be. He acts mercifully. He acts graciously. He doesn't get angry. And he's patient with Jonah because he loves him. Find it very comforting to know that despite Jonah's sinful attitude, God doesn't write Jonah off. God could have literally given Jonah exactly what he wanted. God appointed a great fish to save Jonah in the sea. He could have appointed any other animal to swallow him up. And Jonah would be off the face of the earth. But God doesn't do that because he's compassionate and he's gracious. God does not give up on Jonah. And what a comfort it is to know that despite our sin, despite our disobedience, God is the same way with us. Sinclair Ferguson says this, God is more concerned with his servants than he is with their service. Jonah needed a master class on grace. And so God began to teach him more and more about his grace and mercy. And he does this by asking three significant questions, as we will see in verses 4 through 11. God likes to ask questions. I don't know if you've noticed this in the Bible. He loves to ask questions because they're helpful and effective in allowing us to see the state of our own hearts. For example, in, in Genesis, God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? I think God knew that question, the answer to that question. Of course he did. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? All of these questions are designed to expose. And the first question that God asked Jonah is in verse 4. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is a challenge to Jonah. He's saying, Jonah, look at your heart. Is it right to be angry that the same mercy and grace you yourself have experienced from me is shown to other people? Is it okay? Is it right for you to be angry? But there's no answer. Jonah's heart remains unchanged. He still wants the city destroyed. And so in verse 5, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under its shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah gets angrier. He abandons his mission to Nineveh. He sets up camp outside the city and waits. Most likely, Jonah is hoping that the repentance of the Ninevites proves to be false, and then God wipes them off the face of the earth before the 40 days are up. Then look at verse 6. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. 
So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Amazingly, even after not answering the Lord when he asked the question, even after quitting the mission to Nineveh, God is not done with Jonah. What grace. And God has a second question for him. But before asking it, he does something to prepare Jonah's heart. God appoints a plant. Here in these last verses, we will see God providing or appointing a plant, a worm, and a scorching east, or a scorching east wind. <clears throat> Just like he appointed the great fish, God uses things that he has created in nature to teach Jonah. And so God appoints this plant, and it grows overnight to provide shade for Jonah. This is the divine version of miracle grow. This plant goes from a seedling to full maturity, full maturity rapidly, and it's big enough to provide shade for Jonah. Do you notice that this is the first time in the story where Jonah is said to be happy? He did not like the commission to go to Nineveh. He certainly didn't like the storm that God sent. None of us would like being in the belly of a great fish. He was not happy with God's second commission to Nineveh and definitely not happy with Nineveh's repentance. But hear this plant. Oh, it made Jonah happy. The text says that it saved Jonah from discomfort. God who provides this great fish to save Jonah from drowning now provides a plant to save Jonah from the extreme heat of the desert, and he is exceedingly glad. But verse 7 and 8 say, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better to die than to live. God, who provided a great plant, now provides a worm to destroy the plant. And then also provides this scorching east wind. Sand is now blowing into Jonah's face, and the sun is beating down on his head. And at this point, we would hope that Jonah would finally get it. That he would cry out, Oh Lord, now I see. To experience disaster is a horrible thing. I would not wish this on my worst enemies. Forgive me for being so lacking in compassion and grace. But instead, Jonah's heart gets harder. He says it's better for him to die than to live. The pity party continues. He wants to die because he can't handle God's mercy. He wants to die because his, his beautiful plant his precious plant is now gone, and now he can't handle the wind, and he can't handle the sun. So how does God respond? By graciously asking another question. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. first question was, do you well, do well to be angry? The second question, do you do well to be angry for the plant? 
God says, is it really okay, Jonah, for you to be angry over a plant? This is exposing Jonah's pettiness. And the same thing happens with us. First, we get angry about big things, and then small things start to bug us. We get mad at things like stubbing our toe, or spilling coffee on our shirt, or breaking a pencil, especially mechanical pencils. I hate when that happens. But God is showing Jonah, look at what your, where your anger has taken you. And Jonah responds to God's question, finally, by saying that he's angry enough to die. He says, God, what are you doing? You gave me comfort and blessing through this plant, and then a worm comes and destroys my happiness. One day you pour out blessing, and the next day you take it away. You see what God is doing here? And these final verses and Jonah are so important. Listen to God's response in verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God exposes Jonah. Jonah has more concern for himself than those who do not know God. He cares more about the plant that he didn't even put in the ground, that he didn't even water, that only existed for a day, than he does for people who were created in God's image. God says that there's 120,000 people who do not know their, their right hand from their left. God could be referring to children here or adults, but either way, there's hundreds of thousands of people who are lost, and Jonah is concerned about a dead plant. And God says, all right, and even if you don't care about the people, just think about all those animals, Jonah. There's a little bit of humor right there, right? Surely you don't want me to destroy all those animals, do you? So go ahead, put your plant on one side of the scale and put all those things on the other. Which matters more? If you can feel sorry for this meaningless plant, should I not feel sorry for all those people who were made in my image? Are not the animals of the city alone worth more pity than that plant? God uses this question in order for Jonah to understand that he's seen this whole thing all wrong. A God-fearing prophet should be rejoicing to see God saving sinners. Instead, he hates it. He believes that he and his people somehow are worthy of God's grace and that these dangerous pagan Ninevites are unworthy. And at this point of the story, it's tempting to look at Jonah and laugh. It's tempting to look at Jonah and judge him. Come on, Jonah. You're a fool. You're a fool for thinking that a plant is worth more than people. Get it together, Jonah. Jonah's response isn't recorded in the book here. 
But there's a question left hanging in the air, and it's intentional. When a story ends with a question, then that means it's up for the readers to answer the question. It forces us to fill in the blank here. What is our response to God's question? Is there anything in your life that you're more concerned about than seeing lost people come to know God's grace? Do we care more about the plants in our gardens, the contents in our garages and our homes than we do about the spread of the gospel to lost people? The love and mercy and compassion that the Lord has for the Ninevites and for this wayward, angry prophet finds its ultimate expression in the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, a God who relents from disaster, was made flesh. And he was nailed to a cross so that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would be gathered into his kingdom. Jesus Christ, the sinless one. The cross teaches us how God is able to extend mercy to sinners and also execute perfect justice. Right? Jesus Christ, the sinless one, takes upon himself the sins of the world so that God's grace could be extended to sinners. The gospel Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jonah had a heart of anger, but the greater Jonah has a heart of mercy. Jonah runs in the opposite direction instead of helping the lost, but the greater Jonah offers up his life to seek and save the lost. The prophet Jonah doesn't remain in the city. He distances himself and prays that God would bring down wrath. But the greater Jonah looks out over the city and he weeps because he has compassion for sinners. The earthly Jonah is selfish. The greater Jonah humbles himself and becomes obedient even to the death of his own life on the cross. Jonah thinks mercy is for saints. The greater Jonah extends his mercy to sinners. This chapter shows us that it's possible to be genuinely grateful for your own salvation and yet disinterested in the salvation of others. So what do you love more than your neighbor? What do you love more than your neighbor that you're not willing to give up even for the sake of sharing the gospel with them? Your reputation? Your comfortable life? How do you use your time throughout the week? What does your bank statement say about how you value lost souls? Are you on your knees throughout the week praying for lost people? 
Do you have a beautiful lawn with plants that you love? Do you have more concern for your grass and your plants than you do for the people on the other side of the fence? Do you confess God's mercy and yet don't desire it for others? Or are you passionate about God's mercy and wanting to share it with others? God calls Jonah to give up his misplaced love. Jonah loves himself. He loves his people and he loves his dead plant. God said, give that up. And he calls him to love like God loves, like Jesus loves, a love that gives, a love that goes, a love that serves and sacrifices for the sake of the lost. And so it's up to us to respond to God's question here. We are all in need of the mercy of God. We are all in need of the mercy of God. We can't do this on our own. He is the one who enables us to be obedient to his commands and to live lives worthy of the gospel. And he has commanded us. We have been given a commission just like Jonah to go and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Remember, God is gracious. He's merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And he is eager to save the lost. God's gracious character should lead his people to imitate him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word and how it speaks very directly into our lives today, even though it was written so long ago. Lord, we confess that we don't often rejoice in the amazing gospel truth that you have provided to wayward sinners like ourselves. We take it for granted and we often keep it to ourselves. We are slow to share it with others. We confess that there are some people that we don't even want to share the gospel with. And we repent of that, Lord. We repent. Thank you for your mercy. Please work in our hearts. Help us to be captivated by your grace again. And give us a renewed desire to proclaim the gospel to the lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.